0: Yeah, can I just give him a hand to praise? That was awesome. Uh, Our very own Daniel Bell did all of the costuming uh, for that incredible, incredible production. And we had over three and a half thousand people come out and hear the Christmas message and hear the gospel uh, over five nights, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, You know, there's nothing more important, as, as Dre said than that message and we've talked about that recently and we're so delighted to have Dray Michaela and the team here can i get all the team just to stand up for a moment i want us to see uh, all these fantastic young student lifers come on guys ever up on their feet let's give them a hand these guys are out here taking the most important message that there is on the planet to people in our city we honor you guys thank you guys to grab a seat uh, that is fantastic so delighted to have dr Michaela here with us uh, they were with us in dunedin for many years and i married these guys in uh, the church in Port Chalmers, and, uh, and they're doing great. Two kids so far. Two, so far. We've got four, so the score's still 4-2, but there's still time to catch up, so don't be discouraged. Uh, yeah, awesome. Really great to have these guys. And I remember meeting Dre uh, as a young South African come over here. Man, just has such a passion, such a passion, uh, and uh, for seeing people saved and a willingness to sit down with somebody and share the message that changed his life and I've always, uh, always uh, been impressed about that with you guys. And I tell you, for, for the team that are gathering around these two, I can't think of two better people to get around and learn off than these guys. So honor you guys, all class. Fantastic. Well, just don't forget, we've got Open Heaven coming up. Uh, I don't know how many, th- was it five or 6,000 people, I think, last year turned out to Open Heaven, a citywide prayer meeting. Uh, every ch- all, all the churches are coming out praying for our city. It's just a powerful time. It's Spark Arena this year. Uh, Again, so uh, we really want, uh, would love to see you guys out at that. It's a a very special time when we kind of rise up together and and really beseech God to come and do something great in our our city, in our time, which is fantastic. Well, I'm going to start off today by telling you a story. Um, You know, many years ago, uh, I ran a small group for people who couldn't get in a small group. So these were uh, what people that we called extra grace required. They were um, people who had difficulty in a range of different areas in life, um, ranging from mental illness to intellectual disability um, through to drug addiction. Uh, I had an ex-gang member in this group, uh, all sorts of people. Uh, were in this group and it was a very time-consuming group to run because of course none of these people had transport. Uh, every week I would get in my car. It was a half-day activity. Drive all over the city, pick these people up, bring them back, feed them, um, try and keep them awake, uh, do a bit of a study, you know, and then, and then spend another hour dropping them all off home. But it was, it was a powerful season for me. Uh, for me. Uh, It was a powerful season for me. You know, Jesus places such a priority on the poor, the orphan, the widows. He said, this is actually what it's really all about. And I learned so much through this this particular group. There was one guy in this group uh, called Neville. And um, Neville, at the time, would have been in his mid-late 50s. Um, He had uh, intellectual uh, disability. Uh, He was the most positive guy I've ever met in my life which was particularly striking because in terms of the opportunities afforded to him, he probably had less to be positive about than most of us in, in life. And anyway, he, he came to Life Group, and one particular year, I remember, he had three goals for the year, and he wanted our help uh, as a group, as a Life Group, in him achieving that. His three goals were he wanted to get, um, he wanted to get a flatmate. He, wanted, he lived in a state house by himself. He wanted to get a flatmate. He wanted to get his driver's license. That was a frightening thought. And he wanted to get a job. And I'm going to be totally honest with you, Um, as you know I am from time to time. I'm thinking, there's no way. There's no way. I, I wouldn't want to live with this guy. I've been at his house. I see how he lives. I can't think of anyone I know who wants to live with this guy. I can't imagine him getting his driver's license uh, I can't even imagine him getting his learner's license. I just can't. I just don't think he, he's going to be able to get through the questions, you know. And then, uh, and then I just thought I, I can't see him getting a job. I can't see anyone giving this guy a job. But you know what? He came to us as a group. He asked us to help him, and so we're like, man, we're right behind you, buddy. And so every week we would pray for him. We'd pray for a flatmate for him. We'd pray for a job for him. We would pray for um, pray for his license. Uh, I'll be honest. I was probably the least Faith-filled, and I think all my prayers had a caveat in them, like, you know, God, give him a license, Lord, as long as he doesn't kill anyone. Give him a license, Lord, you know. Anyway, and every week he would come, and he would, we would have to test him on the road code. And uh, it quickly became apparent that, that for him, this was purely a memorization exercise. Like, he wasn't able to work stuff out, like like coming up to an intersection, you know, and you have to give way. He, he couldn't work out why you had to give way. He just learnt that I have to say you have to give way. So he learnt that, which was quite horrific, really, uh, for a road user. But uh, anyway, as time went on, you know what happened? Amazing things happened. First of all, he got a flatmate. It was actually one of the guys in our in our in our group that decided he was going to go and, and uh, be a flatmate with him and help him out. And I mean, that I th- that was amazing. Um, secondly, he got his learner's driver's license. Which totally stunned me, and and uh, as it turned, and I was actually quite like I was wondering, do I have a moral responsibility of the general population to somehow stop this? Um, but as it turned out, it solved itself, which was awesome because he actually well, went driving with his new flatmate in his new flatmate's car, and unfortunately tried to parallel park that vehicle in a parking space that was currently occupied by another vehicle. Hmm. Uh, so that luckily brought that to an end and uh, and then he went on and didn't get just one job he got three jobs three part-time jobs that required him getting up at 3 a.m every morning and walking the streets delivering things tell you what you can learn a lot from a guy like that you can learn a lot about perseverance right you can learn a lot about overcoming obstacles and not feeling sorry for yourself and you have to get up early, well get the heck up early and go and do what you're there you I mean, you could learn a lot. But what I also also learned from Neville was the importance of, of of help, of being there for one another. And I want to share a message this morning, and I give thanks to the great evangelist Oral Roberts, who's the first person I ever, ever heard speak on this particular scripture and topic. But I want to share a message this morning called Hold On to the Rope. You know, every one of us this year has been involved in helping somebody somewhere. Every one of us. And, you know, some of them have been so worth it, right? Some of them, you've been there for somebody. You've helped them out through something. It's just been a great experience. Your help has enabled them to take new steps, to take new ground. It's been an awesome thing. Look, for some of us, if we're honest, some of those people that we've tried to be there for, it hasn't worked out. Didn't go the way we thought. Uh, We kind of laid down our life in some way, shape, or form for somebody, and, and who knows, maybe it even came back on us. We got blamed for something. That happens sometimes. But, you know, as we follow Jesus, I'm telling you, part of this Christian experience is that he wants us to be those people who reach out to others, who help others, and at times who believe for others when no one else is believing for them. And I know you had that last year. And I know you're going to have that again this year because that's what God does with us. Let me take you to Acts chapter 9. Fascinating little story tucked in there amidst this incredible, incredible story of of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit as Jesus has gone to heaven and released the Spirit and now the church is beginning to move. Uh, It says this in Acts chapter 9 verse 23. After many days had gone by, excuse me, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. This is Saul. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So, the backstory on this this huge persecution has broken out against the church, right? Like, violence has erupted. Anyone considered to be a Christian was fair game. They were searched for. They were beaten. They were dragged away. Many were put in prison. Some were killed. They were torn away from families, from husbands and wives, from children. And there was this young, zealous guy called, Paul, sorry, called Saul who was leading the charge. He was one of the of the real leaders of this movement to attack and to take away Christians and to dismantle this thing called the church. So this guy, Saul, he's on his way to Damascus to hunt down some more of these Christians. He hears there's a community there, and he's going down there to take them apart. And then on on, on the way, in the middle of nowhere, out of a beautiful sunny day, (coughs) God hit him. He fell off his donkey. He was blinded by an astonishing light, like lightning, and he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him. It was a man. It was a it was a crazy, crazy experience. He got up from that. <clears throat> his theology is all ruined. This this dead guy, supposedly dead guy, who all these crazy people are believing, has now spoken to him, proving to him unequivocally that actually he's not dead, but he is alive. Uh, he's realized that the people he's hunting down uh, he shouldn't be hunting them down they're actually the ones who've got the true revelation of what is going on for what god wants to do on the planet the problem is that he is now blind he can't see he's led by the hand the rest of the way he must be incredibly fearful he has seen what happens to people who go blind regardless of what their status or position was they become beggars There's not a lot of options out there in in the first century world for those people who lose their sight. He must have been terrified. In fact, it says he was so terrified that for three days and nights he didn't eat a thing and uh, until out of nowhere God sends to him one of these Christians who he was hunting down. A guy called Ananias. Ananias, uh, in faith, trusting God, went to him, laid hands on him, prayed for him, prophesied over him. And very quickly, uh, what happened was uh, this young guy called Saul took on a new name and went back to the very synagogues that he was known in, and instead of teaching against Jesus Christ, he began teaching about Jesus Christ. And it says that he spoke so powerfully, so uh, so persuasively <clears throat> that people began to like change what they were thinking. They were totally convinced as Paul expanded from the Old Testament and showed that actually this Jesus was the Messiah. So the Jewish leaders, I mean, they're spitting. They are. They are. They can't believe this. This was their poster child, their poster boy. They put a whole lot of hope in this guy. And and now they realize he was doing so much damage to their cause that to them it seemed that they only had one option, and they needed to take him out. So they made a plan to kill, kill him. They knew he was in the city. Because the other soldiers, the other men he'd gone with, had led him to the city. They knew he was in the city somewhere. And so they put men on the city gates, the only road in and out of a walled city. Put men on the gates 24-7, looking for him, so that they could murder him. The hunter had become the hunted. And then, somehow, his disciples found out. The guys who, who had a bit of faith in, in, in Paul, they found out. Paul found out. Now, if we had been there that night, we might have seen three or four men creeping silently through the shadows, from the shadow of one building to another, as they went to a part of the wall that was far away from the city gates where the lights were burning One of them carried a bundle of rope. One of them carried a large wicker basket. When they found this isolated part of the wall, where there was a window that was high up where no one would notice. They went up inside the wall. Paul was there. These guys tied this rope onto the basket, managed to squeeze the basket out through the wall. While they braced themselves, Paul clambered uh, frighteningly into this basket, and then, amidst whispered instructions, they began to lower him down. This must have been quite frightening for these guys, right? I mean, this was Saul. I mean, this was the guy who, this was the most feared guy uh, for Christians. I mean, this was the devil incarnate for these guys. Who was to say this wasn't all an act? Who is to say this wasn't just a, a ruse that he was putting on so he could identify more of these Christians? And yet, and there's something going on with those guys that night who took Paul and who lowered him down. They lowered him down this wall. Try not to let the basket scrape against the wall and alert people until after what seemed forever in the pitch darkness, the weight went off the rope. They could maybe just perhaps see a little bit of Paul's outline as he looked up briefly and waved before darting away. And of course, the life of who we know as the great apostle Paul was saved. This man who would plant churches, right across Asia, this man who would write much of the New Testament, this man who would inspire and instruct us to this day. Though, of course, they knew none of that at that point. But I don't want to talk about Paul today. I want to talk about the men who held the rope for him. Let's go through a couple of things this morning. Number one, I think this is so important. They didn't do it for the glory. You see, we don't even know their names. We don't know who these guys were, these, these guys who, who risked their own lives to be there for Paul when he needed it most, to hold on to the rope as he was lowered down to safety. You know, old Robert says there are two types of people in the world. He says there are those who will do anything for God, anything for the church, anything for anybody, as long as somebody knows their name. As long as there's a little bit of glory that comes their way, as long as they get a little bit of a slap on the back for someone for being that person. Then he says there are those who will do anything for the Lord, anything for the church, anything for anybody, and it doesn't matter at all if nobody ever knows their name or that they had a part in what was going on. They just want to be there. They just want to obey the Lord. They want to make a difference. They want to hold the rope for somebody, and it doesn't matter whether anybody knows that or not because they know that the lord knows you know jesus taught us about this right in matthew chapter six when you pray don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others truly i tell you they have received their reward in full let me just pause on that for a moment do you realize that that god hears my prayers when I'm alone in my room or alone in my office, far more than hears my prayers up here standing in front of everyone, sounding all articulate and trying to string things together. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that we need to be heard by men to be heard by God. In fact, Jesus says quite the opposite. Truly I tell you, he says, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret then he will reward you god sees god rewards that's all that matters you know some of you've some of you've really you've really s- spent yourselves for some people in the last year some of you have really gone the extra mile for some of you it's really it's cost you money it's cost you time some of you it's really it's cost you tears it's been tough and for some of you no one would ever know I want to remind you today, God sees, God knows, God will make sure that you are not in deficit because of what you've spent in the service of someone else that he nudged you to hold the rope for. The second thought this morning is this, is that they didn't do it because it was convenient. These men held the rope in the pitch dark of night, we are told. They had no idea who was on the end of the rope. They had no idea who he would be. Yet something in them made them turn up and hold on till that job was done. You know, they had been compelled to be there. Something in their gut, something in their spirit, something in their heart had spoken to them, nudged them. they lost peace about it until, until they got out of bed, until they'd, they'd walked out, snuck out, and turned up to be there and, and I have no doubt it was terrifying because what they were involved in was punishable essentially by death but they were willing to take this man's life in their hands they had no idea if this guy was going to turn on them they had no idea of how valuable this guy was going to be or, or maybe he wasn't maybe he was going to be a waste of time but they obeyed what was happening inside them and they turned up even though it was unbelievably inconvenient you know Paul himself says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared when? In season and out of season. You know, if God gets you out of bed and puts a rope in your hand for somebody, sometimes it'll be in season. Sometimes it'll be perfect timing. You will have the time. It will make sense in your calendar. You'll have the energy. But, you know, sometimes when God turns up and puts a rope for somebody in your hand, it will be out of season. It will be terrible timing. You won't know that you can even fit it in. You'll be so flat out. You'll have a sense, however, that this is one of those things you've just got to make room for. Sometimes things come along, and they are inconvenient. It's in the middle of the night. It's at a time when it just like it really doesn't suit. God, this doesn't suit right now. I'm a little busy. And yes, there are unequivocally times when we've got to learn to say no to some things. But there are some times when God comes and asks us to be there for somebody. And it will not be convenient. And it will be out of season. And God says, be prepared anyway. I'm telling you, if God gets you out of bed and puts a rope in your hand, if God God wakes you up, if God nudges you and says, get beside this young person. If God says, I need you to go to prayer for this older person. If God says, here's a need, I need you to get on this and don't let go of this until it's done, until we get some breakthrough. Be that person. Be prepared. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. And that's what we are called to. Amen. The third thought this morning is that they didn't drop the rope when it got hard. Because who knows, when you're holding the rope for somebody, at some point, man, it just gets too hard. Sometimes it just gets too heavy. What do you do in those times? I mean, these guys, there were guards everywhere. There were people stationed specifically looking out for this guy. They were looking for any sort of thing that may be a plan for getting Paul out of there. I imagine as they're in this little room in the middle of this wall that every little sound that they heard, every set of footsteps must have struck terror into their hearts. I guarantee you there were moments when they were just like, let's just drop the rope. We've just got to go. We've got to save ourselves. Some of these, these men probably had partners. They probably had children. And there were times, I'm sure, when they, were like, when they just wanted to just drop the rope, just let go and just get out of there and save themselves. But something in them said, no, we have to hang in there. You know, when you're holding the rope for somebody, there are always going to be moments, I promise you, when you're just done, when you just want to drop the rope, when you want to say this isn't worth it. But like with these guys, sometimes we can't. Sometimes we can't because number one, you might, all, you might be almost there. Who knows? But hanging on just a little bit longer might see the basket to the ground. You don't know how far it is to go. And you may not have the strength for another long haul, but you may not need to. So hang on there because you don't know how close you are to the breakthrough. Secondly, These guys had to hold on because there are only a couple of them on this rope. And for us, too, sometimes we don't know how few people there are sometimes involved in the things that we're involved in. Sometimes we've got to hang on because God's maybe only called a couple of us. And in this season, as the Spirit leads, if you get a sense of God saying, don't, don't, don't let go, then with everything inside, you muster the strength and hang in there. And then the third thing is this. You can't let go because you don't know Who is on the end of your rope? That child, that son or daughter, that loved one that you're praying for, that complete stranger even that you're praying for, who knows? Who knows what that person might become? What good that person might bring to the world? What difference that person might make? They may look like nothing special right now, but who knows what God is going to do? So hold on to the rope. You know, a young woman once met this young guy. He didn't have too many prospects. He was working in a gas station. He was a failing musician. Yet this young woman said, God, if you want me to talk to this guy about you, you wake me up in the night and I'll call him. And some of you know the story that I'm telling right now, but some of you don't. You wake me up, God, and I'll call him and I'll do what I can. And this particular young woman, she woke at about 2 a.m. and she said, all right, God, I'll call him. And she took hold of the rope for that young guy. They talked and debated for over an hour, and then finally he hung up, pulled up a chair, and sat down in that same gas station and gave his life to Jesus. She could have rolled over and gone back to sleep. She could have said, God, get somebody else. She could have given up. But she took hold of that, and she hung in there. And that young guy with no prospects who got saved went on to become a pastor, went on to see many, many people saved over the years because she held on to the rope. He went on to see people delivered of demons, Because she held on to the rope. He went on to counsel many people to break through in their lives. He went on to lead a movement of churches that he was in. He preached and taught leaders in many different countries because she held on to the rope. She had no idea what God was going to do with that young man. But she held on anyway. And I was that young man. And I haven't seen that woman in many, many, many years. But I'm eternally grateful that when I was going nowhere and had nothing going on and was really on the brink of getting into some bad things, when God nudged her to get up in the middle of the night and hold on to the rope for somebody, she held on for me. I'm so grateful. You know, this year, whether or not anybody knows your name, whether or not anybody knows what you've been doing to the Lord, can I say to you, you don't know who has been on the end of that rope that you've been holding on for. But God does. And who knows what good... Who knows what breakthroughs, who knows what salvations will happen because, like those men one dark night in Damascus, you held on to the rope for somebody. You don't have to be a preacher or a pastor to be used by God. Man, I hope we've learned that by now. But you know what? If you'll hold on to the rope for someone when God brings it to you, you can make a difference in the world. You can be someone who will hold on to the rope for somebody else, change your destiny, change your history because of what you did. My challenge to you right now for where you're at, for what's going on, and for what's up ahead of you. Are you willing to be someone who'll say, yeah, God, you can put it right in my hand and I'll see it through. Let me pray this morning. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. God, I pray, Lord, right now for every person who's here who's been holding on to a rope and it's, it's been getting weary, it's been getting heavy, it's been getting tough. Father, I pray, God, for a new strength, a new hope this morning to fill them. Father, I pray for every person, Lord, who will be holding on to a rope for somebody this coming year. God, I pray, God, that you will give them such a hard understanding of your call to be a part of that for somebody else. Father God, I also pray, Lord, for those of us here this morning who need who need someone to hold on to the rope for them. God, I pray you'll set up a divine appointment, God, bring a person, at the right time in the right place. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.